Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. Today on the show, we have Sophie Matheson, who's the writer, director, and star of a new film called Drama. You can find the film and all its details at afilmcalleddrama.com and searching for A Film Called Drama on Facebook will also turn up some results for you. Uh, the film is available to watch from the 17th. So head to the website, head to the Facebook, support your local film industry, and uh, enjoy an interview with Sophie. Bonjour. I'm Anna. I, I think we met on Skype once. Et elle va dormir ici? Bah, ouais. D'accord. Oh, uh, do you want me to pick up anything? Try not to. John's here in Paris. Well, you want to go back to him? I was happy. No, you weren't. Uh, everyone's unhappy when they're in a relationship and then they realize how totally miserable feels when you're alone. He had sex with another woman. We were having problems. At your birthday party. Sophie Matheson, welcome to the podcast. And um, first of all, congratulations, you've finished a feature film. Thank you very much. Yes, and I, I only have one white streak in my hair, so that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> always uh, always good that you can measure it to just one white streak, hey? Absolutely, yeah. I look a little bit like Cruella de Vil, but yeah, it's been worth it. <laughs> well, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us, um, what are your favourite films? Oh, look, I mean, straight up, my my favourite film of all time has to be Jurassic Park. Wow, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I was actually talking to a good friend of mine. I think I probably watched that film maybe three times a year. It's um, it's just it's just such a such a classic. Very different to the kind of film that I make. It's just one of those very well put together, smart, just a, a beautiful kind of flawless piece of, of writing, I think, for me. I, I'm very much in, in love with um, writers that treat their audience with respect and um, really allow um, allow people to go with kind of a, a little bit more dense um, subject matter. And I think that it's it's something that I've always always been yeah just really interested in is is how much um, scope you give an audience to really invest in an imaginary world. My background is definitely from theatre, so I was classically trained as an actor at the VCA Victorian College of the Arts in Melbourne. So my kind of um, storytelling was always quite dense and you know it's something when I when I watch films I, I very much enjoy the the theoretical discussion I guess behind it so because of that you know my my thesis that I I did when I created drama was all about French new wave cinema I particularly I, I mean just as an interesting historical point I've always found the relationship between Godard and Truffaut really interesting and the way that their kind of relationship off screen really influenced what they made on screen so I think that drama for me was I always knew that I wanted to make something in and I always knew that I wanted to kind of engage with what I think they, they have, which is a very healthy discourse about the 
philosophical background to cinema as well as the entertainment value. And uh, I read in Inside Film, when it came time to do your thesis, you wanted to, to do a, a feature film instead of a short. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just mainly to do with the fact that as a complete and utter rookie, I, I had not made any shorts prior to this. And, you know, I'd been part of a million and one short film shoots. And I think that short filmmaking is, it's, it's an excellent practice ground and it is its own medium. But I, I always knew that I was interested in kind of longer format storytelling. So for me, there was there was no real question as to whether or not I, I was going to make a feature. It was just about making sure that my course coordinators didn't kick me out because I knew that I wasn't going to do a lot of face-to-face time because I'd be in pre-production. So the, In the film drama, you play Anna, uh, a character who heads to Paris in pursuit of John and uh, stays with her gay best friend and his partner. It felt like a very specific story. Um, Does this come from some true elements in your life? Is this based on personal experience? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to make a film that was an open love letter to the longest and most important relationship to me, which is a platonic friendship with my friend Russ. And we've been friends for close on 15 years now. I really was frustrated with the will and grace kind of box that I think that single women and gay men are potentially put in as if that kind of relationship isn't valid or doesn't have the emotional depth or fluency of, of regular pairings. And yeah, so I really wanted to explore the complexity of that relationship and show that for both parties, it can often function in a, in a similar way. It provides the same level of support and structure. And yes, there's no physical intimacy, but there are a lot of other things that happen through that relationship. So I really wanted to use it as a way to just examine the modern movement away from heteronormative new nuclear families. I think that there's an entire generation of women now that are growing up where marriage is is not the be all and end all. And I think that that's the same for men as well. So that kind of fluidity in terms of how, how we see ourselves as individuals and as part of a couple um, was definitely something that I wanted to look at. And yeah, so it was, it was always, yeah, it was based in, in real life, but the collaboration really started with my relationship between my relationship with Jonathan Biotto, who is the lead French actor. So I met him when I was doing my thesis and we had an immediate rapport and we're very, very close to this day. He's actually coming out for the premiere, which is fantastic. We very much wanted to to look at, um, yeah, that shift. So it, it's, it's an old relationship and kind of injected with the flavour of a new relationship, I guess. So it's not entirely autobiographical but it is it's definitely coming from a strong personal investment and experience is it uh, nerve-wracking did you find to um put yourself out there with such a personal material absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean i think anyone who thinks that it's, it's easy is is sorely mistaken you know and i think that this is something so my, my sister produced the film with me and i think one of the things that's actually really interesting is that when it is your own experience or material you do feel so incredibly vulnerable and exposed that you know in the natural kind of trajectory of a film and its life cycle there will be ups and there will be downs and there will be you'll get massive ticks and you'll also get huge rejections and 
one of the things that I think has been really interesting for me to kind of learn is that if a film doesn't make it into a festival or doesn't get picked up by this or that distributor, it's not a rejection of you as a person. And so it took a lot of yeah, late night pep talks, I would say, from um, from my sister and from yeah, interested and good friends to, to just kind of say, you know, it's yes, it is you that's on that screen. But yeah, the, the business of film is a completely separate thing. So learning to kind of keep those two separate has been, yeah, it's been interesting. Well, it's good that you and your sister uh, survived this creative partnership. <laughs> yeah. uh, did she need much convincing to come on as a producer or had she done this before? So Dominique, she she's... She's a makeup artist by trade. She's worked on bigger film sets and uh, TV for the last 10 years. She and I have collaborated in a number of theatrical productions before and I always knew that she's a born producer. She knows because she's not an actor but she's been surrounded by them, me and my, you know, ragtag bunch of friends for for a long time and also the actors that she's worked with on set she really understands that kind of creative process and when to when to push and when to pull and when to support and she's also she's phenomenal with money she's <laughs> she's she's yeah she was an incredible asset so basically didn't take didn't take much convincing but it was actually Tom Wren and Nicole De Silva two of our Australian actors they they were the ones that actually really supported her to say you should really do this I think that you could could do it an amazing job and she definitely did. She's been the backbone to this crazy, crazy shambolic project since the start. So it's been, yeah, it's been phenomenal just to see how much she's kind of taken to that role. And so we're now in production of our second feature, which is a documentary, and we've shot the first block of that. And, yeah, it's been amazing just to see how much she's taken to that role and she's incredibly just fierce as a producer now, which is an amazing asset to have. So, yeah, it's great. Australian audiences would know Tom Wren from Winners and Losers and uh, Nicole De Silva from Wentworth. Was it difficult to get them on board or...? Not at all, actually. We've been friends with both of them for a very long time. So I went to drama school with uh, Mr. Wren and Dominique was Nicole's personal makeup artist on Wentworth for a while as well. So we've our circles are very much in the kind of acting world. So, you know, when I knew that I wanted to make a film, obviously grew up in the kind of the independent boom of the kind of mid-90s and really understood that there are a lot of actors who are incredibly talented but who are very frustrated and if you can if you can use their skills and actually go look there's no money in this I know that you're being paid for regular day job but this is something that's actually going to make you feel a little bit more connected to the reason that you started acting in the first place that gives us an incredible amount of leverage and I think one of the strongest things about the film is the performances like across the board they're really great and it was something where because I, I could engage with the actors in their language in pre-production by the time they got to set they were so so prepared and that was just phenomenal to see you know that basically by the first take we were like well we could go with that but let's just keep playing and see what we find so I think because of the style of the way that we shot which is lots of long takes it was it was really incredible to see performances yeah but also the the scope for for change in the edit there are some takes that are nine minutes long and when I was discussing that with my editor she was like well you know we could make 14 different films 
um, because there's each take has such a different flavor and a different feel. So one of the things that was interesting for us, and that's definitely my kind of personal taste with cinema, is just letting actors do their do their work. And you know, it is quite difficult when you're sitting in an edit suite and you have to decide between do we go with one that has a little bit more emotional flavor here, or do we go for something that's a little bit funnier, or just to to make those creative decisions. It is it makes the edit far harder, but I also think it it it's doing justice to the incredible interpretive work that actors do do. I mean, it's it's so difficult in the editing room, killing your babies, I guess. What's, <laughs> yeah. what's the final runtime of your film? So the final runtime is 96 minutes. I understand you didn't take long to write the script. No, I, I was, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I am the kind of person I kind of started, like I said, in theatre and I'd, I'd written a few kind of plays and done a few dramaturgy and um, playwriting internships and things in my youth. So I, although I didn't spend a long time actually writing the, f- the film, um, my kind of process is definitely one where I just kind of mull it over in my head for a long time, like the weeks leading up to it. And barely there in a conversation because I'm having a conversation with the many voices in my head. So by the time I, yeah, I went, I went away for Christmas with some friends and, you know, we were in a house in Czechoslovakia for a week and they all went skiing in the day and I locked myself in my room and wrote. So it took me eight days from start to finish. And by the time I'd finished, we spent a little bit of time in a revision, but I think I'd spent a long time just figuring out the mechanics of that story. So by the time I hit there, hit the actual final draft, I was very much in the the position where I felt like I, I knew where the story was going and it was just about taking a few kind of tangents but coming back to that initial core, yeah, plot that I'd kind of set for myself. Well, you managed to beat uh, Sylvester Stallone who knocked out his script for Rocky in 12 days. So congratulations. <laughs> Well, that's good. I've never heard that before. I will I will take that title away from Sliced Alone. <laughs> yeah, a good one. So was it manageable for you, you know, wearing the hats of writer, producer, director and editor? No, is the short answer. Too it's many a, hats. I, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of hats. It's a very... It's a very interesting thing. My my mother would laugh at this because she knows me to be, as she would say, very chaotic. It's all about preparation. And so one of the things that I was very aware of is that you have to set deadlines for yourself. And once those windows have passed, you have to move on. There, there were times where, you know, I would have loved to to have a have another crack at writing little end bit to the scene, but that window had passed and I couldn't really get back into that headspace. You have to just keep plodding along like a producer would. So there was a lot of that that kind of judicious thinking going on. And that kind of extended to the way that I directed was that by the time I hit set, I was I was there forever. So I actually rehearsed the script like a plot in leading up to to the the shoot. So I had an external basically someone who I used a mouthpiece and said, you know, this is what, this is where I want the, the um, performance to land. And I, I just need to outsource this. We did all of the, all of the hard yards and work in me finding that character in a kind of, in a safe space six weeks before I hit set. So by the time I got there, I knew that my job was really answering the questions of every other actor. And, and being malleable and pliant to their needs because in the priority list, everything else you want kind of comes right at the bottom. So that that's further 
complicated when you're also being a producer as well. You know, you're there for your crew and you need to make sure that they're happy and fed and not too tired and you give them all of the kind of the support and trust that they need in order to do their jobs. So there were some pretty intense days there where, you know, it's really hard to get that balancing act right. And I think I had probably about two major meltdowns in in the 31 days, but they were all behind closed doors. It was something that I kept away from my crew to make sure that they they thought that I was just nailing it, just absolutely keeping everything afloat. So, yeah. Obviously very ambitious doing 31 days straight as well. Yeah, but I mean, that's just how how it had to be. For scheduling. Yeah, and also, you know, Paris basically during August kind of shuts down. um, And because we were complete guerrilla crew and we we basically had to make sure that you know we weren't going to get arrested for for shooting without permits so we had to make sure that we got everything we needed in that time frame so it was yeah it was it was all tense but it was it was fantastic as well you know we came like a a little um national family we had a crew from Denmark and uh Italy France the UK Australia we all just kind of got on our air mattresses and got work and yeah, it was good. <laughs> had you been to Paris before? Yeah, yeah, I had actually. Um, I spent a long time in pre-production in Paris scoping. I did my own location scouting as well with the production designer. So yeah, that was, I, I took a long time, eight months between final script and, and shoot. I spent a lot of that time in Paris in the lead actor's parents' house, sleeping on their couch, doing all of the nitty gritty of, of pre-production um, while Dominique was was managing a lot of the finances and everything from Australia. So, yeah, I, I had spent a long time um, by the time we started shooting there. So it was a conscious choice, like, to set it in Paris or did the events in your own life happen in Paris or...? No, no, it was more to do with the fact that I met Jonathan while I was doing my master's and that kind of collaboration, you know, he was a very well-established actor. He was a French child star back in the day. So he had a lot of a big network of creatives to kind of draw upon. So when I knew that I wanted to make a feature and I knew that we had such a great rapport, I basically said, well, why don't we, why don't we set it in Paris? So, you know, and he was like, absolutely, that sounds fantastic. It meant that we could still use public liability insurance of of my of both of our schools. Um, we could extend it out to there, but it also meant that just in terms of the the cost, we we could just make sure that we could control that cost by giving everyone a free place to sleep. You know, we all kind of took the metro together. It was it was a it was a cost control thing as well. Um, when you can keep a crew together, it just means that you can you know keep a kind of handle on those purse strings as well. But definitely, it was something that once I realised that. I wanted to to work with Jonathan. I very much built Paris into the script. So I use Anna's character as an Australian actress and she's kind of struggling in this kind of post-breakup sense. And so I really used Paris as a kind of metaphor for that kind of fish out of water feeling that you have when you've just come out of a very long relationship and you're suddenly back in the world. So I, I thought that France can sometimes be changing now, but there are still pockets of it where people don't speak English and they're not really interested in in speaking to you unless you do speak French. So we really wanted to play with that as as a kind of theme within the film. Yeah, it reminded me of a little bit of Lost in Translation, just that fish out of water story. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned your mother before. Did, did you suffer from any of this uh, pressure to quit, you know, acting or anything in the lead up to this <laughs> success of yours? 
I think um, my mother would say I would never do that, but um, I think that's a perception. I, you know, Dominic and I grew up with with a parent who both of our parents are, are big high achievers. Now, mother is is an academic, so that you grow up in the shadow of of parents who are very very busy and and judge themselves very harshly on the successes that they have within their respective industries. And I think as a kid, you just naturally you you feed off that energy, so you learn to to judge yourself in terms of that kind of external validation and and so you know I, I would say that there's the my perception was definitely that I felt that pressure but I, I wouldn't say that there was any actual pressure coming from my parents or my mum particularly you know I think that she's always been incredibly supportive and just interested that both of her daughters went into creative fields being such an academic herself so I I think that yeah it's it's different when you when you don't come from a creative, particularly creative household to, to kind of come to terms with um, the kind of life choices that you've decided to, to make and take that kind of road less travelled. But, you know. I thought it might be a theme in the film because, you know, Jonathan's character has given up acting for a paycheck and settled down uh, a little more. So maybe it was, um, yeah, something that had been pitched to you as well. Well, look, I think that, you know, you always, as a creative person, you always go through periods of creative despair where you just go, what, what the hell am I doing? Like all of my friends have houses and, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm working in a silly temp job or whatever. And I think that I really wanted to explore that kind of the, the cost of those decisions as well, because I think it can mean that you you have to become far more adept at learning to live with a certain level of instability. And for a lot of people, that that's really, really hard to do and think that, you know, it's testament to the fact that parents and, you know, our kind of support network for my sister and myself have been so supportive that we do feel, yes, it's, it's frightening sometimes, but you do feel a little bit more able to, to take on that level of risk and follow something because you, you want to see it through and think that it's it's not a disparaging comment to say that everyone should be able to do it but just that everyone as as Jonathan's character says in the film everyone has a breaking point it's it's very much about whenever you get to that point and whatever that point is it's different for everyone I love the fact that you went for an equal crew 50% male 50% female it wasn't a gimmick though was it it was just fair yeah no absolutely not I mean we we I, I wrote the film in 2013 and you know that was before everyone was up in arms and I'm thrilled this is something that that is being spoken about now but absolutely it was not a gimmick it was Dominic and I said you know there is absolutely no reason why anyone should back us we have no CV we don't have no laurels from award-winning shorts um we just two sisters from Melbourne who are just going to try and give this a crack and see if we can pull it off. You know, how are we going to represent other women who are probably far more experienced, at least more experienced than me in a filmmaking capacity? And so what we really wanted to do is use drama as a way, what we called a gender-balanced crew, and that was before any kind of quota kind of been bandied around. We just thought, well, it's going to be harder to find female gaffer, but I bet there's one out there. And if we can give her the chance to step up and be head of department, more than anything, this film will become a platform 
for 20, 25 other women to, to use as a concrete credit to, to put on their CV and say, hey, I did my first head of department on an international feature. That's got to count for something. And in the wake of that, that's, that's absolutely what's happened. Our camera assistant is now working on True Detective. We're just sitting here going, it's amazing. You know, that's exactly what we wanted. We, we, wanted, we wanted these women around us to just take drama, put it in their back pocket and use it as their trump card when they need to. So in a lot of ways, it, it is about just giving giving the industry examples or evidence of, of what you're saying because I think sometimes it can become this empty rhetoric and rather than than saying, you know, women can do it, we were just going to show them and just say, look, they've done it, they've done it and here's the proof. You've already played in some film festivals, haven't you? Tell us about that experience. Yeah, so our um, world premiere was last year at um, the East End Festival in London, and that was that was fantastic. They're the second largest film festival in in the UK, just underneath the London BFI. So we had a really excellent audience there, which was fantastic, and it was it was so wonderful to to kind of be in the environment where I made it. So there was a lot of people who had been quite instrumental to just the development of the film that I could share it with. And it was great just to to see the way in which I think the film itself has a real Australian flavour to it. It's very, it's a little bit louder and a little bit brasher than I think a UK audience is necessarily used to. So it was this real, it was really lovely to see how endearing that film was to a UK audience, I think, who, who hadn't really seen something like it before. So that, that was great. And then we did a, a pretty extensive kind of run through America. So we played at Catalina in LA. We were in Portland International and we were in High Falls in New York. We had a really good run in the States, which was amazing. Portland particularly was, um, was just a dream festival. I got to meet so many independent filmmakers and realise that I'm not a freak and that there are a lot of people who do similar things. Portland being famously weird, yeah. Totally. I was just like, dudes, like, open your arms because here I am. And they were like, come on in. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. And I think that the film was definitely very well written in America particularly because they really understood the the story behind it as well it was they took it on the on the merit of the fact that you know we did shoot it over 31 days it's we used a kind of a production value that's much higher than your typical indie film so yeah i think it was it was interesting but yeah we we had our Australian premiere part of the Gold Coast Film Festival in April of this year which was fantastic to you know have an Australian audience and to bring it home and also that festival is very much about gender equality so it's the only festival that offers free childcare for people who want to come and see films but also publishes the Bechdel test and whether or not a film passes it so we were really really happy to get behind Lucy Fisher and her festival that's doing great things in the Gold Coast and to share it with an Australian audience was was fantastic. Well I can't wait to see you do it all again I'm thrilled to hear you're working on a documentary hopefully it's not the awkward second album and you can... <laughs> Take your time, maybe give yourself more than 31 days to uh, to get it all done. Well, actually, I, you know, in true Matheson fashion, as we'd say, um, we've just locked in our, our second block of shooting, aiming to, to get the next bit done between the 15th and the 22nd of December, just before Christmas. So we've done a good solid week before this. So we're trying to get it done in, um, in two weeks this time. <laughs> so I, I, think, um, I think we just like to keep the pressure on, to be honest. <laughs> I interviewed a couple of guys on this podcast who 
did Australia's first uh, one-take film. Maybe you can aim for that next time. <laughs> really just get it all done in an afternoon. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Australian-Russian arc. That sounds right up my alley. <laughs> so gun to your head, would you rather be an actress or a director after this experience? I mean, I, I genuinely feel, and I know that this is a kind of like fingers in all pies kind of answer, but I definitely think that the way that the industry is going now is that that kind of that purely one role thing, I think is just, it might be a thing of the past because I think about story in a you know, comprehensive and cohesive way. So I've really struggled to think about not directly something you know I, I was commissioned at my first script and it was it was a real struggle this year to kind of divorce myself from thinking about directing it I think I would I would love to be able to be be the wells and be able to to manage all of those once if possible but you know one of the the brilliant about this experience is it's really given me a really strong sense of myself as a director so you know with a gun to my head I would probably say yeah I would I would like to direct because one of the things that I so vehemently enjoy is 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 that kind of that conversation with actors and technicians and really trying to bring everyone into that vision and you know I was talking to so my dad is an architect and I was talking to him just recently and we were saying that filmmaking and architecture is actually incredibly similar in that you're trying to bring people into a vision of something that's conceptual it doesn't exist yet and so you're you're dealing with the past tense the present tense and the future tense in in such an interesting way so it is it is a lot about that kind of emotional contact with people to try and to try and get them on board with what you want to do and make it feel like it's their idea as well and do it in a way that is respectful and innovative well uh three rapid fire questions short answers uh my first question is on the poster are you licking your teeth because they have lipstick on them is that what's happening correct yes great that's what it looks like to me but i just wanted to ask yes very very astute absolutely second question has russ seen the film what does he think yes he's seen it he's seen it a number of times now oh my god it was amazing he cried which was so lovely and i i think i've seen that man cry once before that and that was an outlier of an experience so yeah he he loved it and I think he was he was quite overwhelmed emotionally as to it's a, it's a pretty big missive you know I just went and made a film for you <laughs> so, yeah the sweetest friendship thing you can do make a film for somebody <laughs> Yeah, I pretty much said to him, I was like, so this is all of your birthday presents and Christmas presents all rolled into one. You get nothing from now on. Third question, have you seen Jurassic World and what did you think if you saw it? Oh, dude, I have seen Jurassic World. I was there, you know, with the first session and I was so disappointed. You can't turn raptors into soldier pets as I, <laughs> they just are wild animals. And look, I know that Chris Pratt is great as a wrangler, but I was just so bummed seeing, seeing that. No, it's just saying where the, the dinosaurs nearly speak to each other at the end. They have this knowing glance between T-Rex and Raptor. And I was, because it has Raptor DNA. Yeah. The shark for me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bad feeling the next one they do, because there is a next one. I have a bad feeling it's going to be even more like the um, Raptors or soldiers. So you might hate it. (laughs) Well, look, it's such a disappointing thing because, you know, I love Colin Trevorrow as a director. I think safety 
Guaranteed was one of my favourite indie films, you know, yeah, of the great. last while. It's just so funny and seeing Mark Duplass in that. So I was really bummed that, you know, when given a big budget, you know, he really kind of went a little bit nuts with it because I think that every independent filmmaker's dream is make an indie film and then get to play with dinosaurs. <laughs> So. Yeah, Mark Duplass is really underrated too, and he's very funny on Twitter as well. Yeah, oh, he's he's my dream man. Dominic and I actually say that as filmmaking sisters, it would be our holy grail if we could meet those filmmaking brothers. Because my God, they are just endless sorts sources of inspiration for us. Good to hear you have your own inspirations. Yeah. Uh, Cinema Australia described your film as a genuinely hilarious piece of contemporary Australian cinema, which deserves to be celebrated. And I hope uh, people will head to a film called drama.com and uh, help us celebrate the film. It's going to be available on iTunes, I understand. Yeah, it'll be um, available on iTunes and Google Play on November 17. And there will be a select um, amount of theatrical screenings that we'll be doing on the same day as well. But yeah, definitely for that online audience, we priced it nice and cheap. It's going to be a $5 download. We're doing the Louis C.K. thing because our film didn't cost an arm and a leg to, to make, so we really want people to be able to enjoy it for less than a beer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, guys, get on board. Uh, we'll post links on our Facebook page and in the description of this episode so you can find drama and uh, check out Sophie's film. Congratulations again. Thanks so much, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to my interview with Sophie Matheson. Uh, head to a film called drama.com and uh, you can support the movie. You can watch it from November 17th. As well, you can find a back catalogue of all our interviews and all our episodes at podmeifyoucan.com. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Hit it. listening please like us on facebook and follow us on twitter go to www.podmeifyoucan.com pod me if you can movie reviews 